0: Joe Slamo on the mic it is rocking San Diego live. <laughs> hey, my friends! I'm sorry I I miss you. I had to take a break for a couple weeks, and I'm super excited to be back uh, every day. I'm like, I can't wait to do the podcast again. I can't wait to do the podcast again. Uh, so we're gonna go through this book that I absolutely love, one of my favorite books. Uh, it's called Slaughterhouse Five from Kirk Vonnegut. And um, and then of course, at the very end, we're gonna do dad jokes, okay? I've been getting a lot of dad jokes from you folks and I, and I keep them coming, I, I, I really dig them. Uh, all right, so this book is a uh, World War II book and it's it's so interesting. And my the biggest problem I had getting ready for today was figuring out how I'm going to give you kind of this uh, you know a 40 minute or a 30 minute clip of this book because I I could talk about this for for months okay uh, first uh, about the author himself the late Kurt Vonnegut so he's a like a philosopher he was a college professor he was born in 1922 and he served in in uh, in the war in World War II uh, and he eventually got a Purple Heart. Uh, so he's a Purple Heart uh, veteran, and, uh, and then he was a philosopher and a college professor and author. He wrote a bunch of books. Uh, he he was captured by the Germans in uh, in the Battle, Battle of the Bulge, and, uh, and then he was a prisoner of war for a little while until the end of the war. And, um, you know, so this book is not his—it's uh, not necessarily his story. It's kind of—it's uh, a fictional book, but— It kind of he draws on his experience and it's a very it's funny because it's very, very philosophical, but it's very funny and it's an easy read. So it's like just everything. Uh, And there are, you know, and of course, as a lawyer, I'll bring up the legal issues, you know, as they as they come up. Um, And so so that's his story. And he the book is about uh, like his time as a POW in Dresden. Uh, and it was interesting because the the World War II bombing in Dresden was uh, was really crazy. it's uh, it was kind of toward the end of the war and the Allies uh, uh, especially the uh, the Americans and the British just bombed the living daylights out of Dresden just everywhere and there was you know there was arguments later was it strategic was it not strategic uh, to bomb you know everything in Dresden and uh, it, it, it was so bad at one point the British, sent something like 800 bombers. Can you believe that 800 bomber? 800 uh bombers and some of the bombers got bombed on by other bombers because they they're all like in, in the air. So, so they were dropping all these bombs and some of the bombers like were hit by their own, you know, uh by their own air force because Uh, They're all on top of each other. Uh, So anyway, I mean, that's not funny, Mateo. we got to stop laughing. I'm just saying that's how crazy it was, you know. Uh, I didn't mean to make Mateo laugh like that. So anyhow, okay. So now let's talk about this this book. It's such an interesting book. I'm going to go over it. Uh, And part of the reason why I wanted to go over this is there's been so much going on in the world events, you know, and I... uh, Hopefully, there's not a World War Three. So let's just say World War II was the last World War. Hopefully, okay. Uh, so anyhow, so in this book, it the first order of business is he he writes this book from this uh, like a fictional character, and it becomes kind of clear in in terms of like what's going on that his his uh, his actual story and and what happened to him at the Battle of the Bulge and how he was a prisoner of war. It's so hard for him to describe it that he kind of, you know, makes it a point to describe it through this fictional character. Um, and and it starts with, okay, so the fictional character, his name is Billy Pilgrim, okay? So Billy Pilgrim is the, the person in the book, the protagonist, so to speak, right? And uh, in the book, he talks about this guy, you know, going to school. Uh, oh, by the, the author, the real author, he went... Uh, he was at Cornell and in 1943 he left Cornell so that he can go to World War II. Uh, so his fictional character, Billy Pilgrim, you know, kind of has the same route, and uh, and then he becomes a chaplain. Uh, and he's going to World War II because the other chaplain uh, died in the war, so he's going to replace him. And and it's uh, there's so many ironies, and that's kind of one of them is that this guy is a chaplain you know and he's going off to the wards so that he could kind of uh talk to the other troops and and you know kind of work along and and get people to heal and and you know you know what the chaplains do right um and and now he's there in germany uh kind of toward the end of world war 2 and him and his outfit they have to do this kind of scouting mission of the uh, of the germans right and and they have to get four soldiers to go behind enemy lines, you know, like into uh, where the German forces are and do the certain like uh, reconnaissance and 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 get information. So what happens is Billy Pilgrim, he's kind of a like a, he's a freaking chaplain, right? He's not a fighter fighter, right? Uh, but he's selected and there's these two like super professional, like in shape, awesome scouts that are selected. And then there's a fourth guy named uh, Roland Weary. Uh, And the fourth guy, Roland Weir, he's only 18, so he's a kid, basically, uh, from Pennsylvania. And he's uh, an interesting guy uh, because he was, like, picked on as a kid, so he's kind of holding a grudge. And one of the things he hates is when he either gets picked on or people leave him, so he gets, like, very weary about it. I don't (laughs) know. That might just be a coincidence, his last name being weary. Anyway, okay. So... uh, So Roland, so these are the four. We got Billy Pilgrim, uh, Mr. Weary, and these two very, very awesome scouts. So they go in behind enemy lines. And uh, as they're kind of like going around, it's Billy Pilgrim, like the main guy in the book, that can't keep up. You know, he's kind of like straggling behind them. Uh, And then the two scouts are, are, you know, getting way far in advance. And this guy, Roland Weary... He gets a little nervous. He's like, well, I can't. I don't want to keep up with the scouts because then we're going to totally ditch uh, this guy, Billy Pilgrim. And so he goes back to find Billy and he tells the scouts, hang on, you know, let me go get the other guy. And and then when he gets to Billy Pilgrim, Billy Pilgrim's just kind of like chilling out, like he's kind of lost and doesn't know what the hell to do. So uh, Roland Weary's like, get the F up, you know, like we got to start moving, dude, we're going to we're going to get captured or something. Uh, and then Billy Pilgrim's not getting up, right? Uh, and it got so bad that they start fighting. So these two American troops are fighting each other. And Roland Weary is, I mean, about to kill him. Like he's just about to kill him until uh, some German soldiers come. Uh, and then they get captured. But the funny part is that the German soldiers are there saying, you know, what the fuck are you guys doing? You guys are killing each other. You're Americans and you're killing each other. And so uh, the irony was that these German troops came to stop them. Uh, so they were saved by German troops and they were saved from each other fighting. Uh, and then the first thing that Billy Pilgrim, and, and by the way, this is kind of how this author is. Like there's so many uh, like kind of crazy things that happen in here. And And when they get captured, Uh, He makes it a point to describe of the the German soldiers that capture them. The head guy is this like middle-aged guy, and he's been, you know, he was wounded from World War I, and he was wounded like four times in his life. So the Germans gave him like the nice boots, like these like really, really cool boots. So Billy Pilgrim is there, and the first thing he notices, oh, how lucky this guy must be to have those boots, Right. Um, but it's crazy because he's not really lucky. What'd you call him lucky? He's got the good boots, (laughs) but he was wounded a bunch of times in World War I, this German soldier. So it's kind of like one of those things. It's like, you know, he he seems like he's so well off with these nice boots, but he got them because he was wounded all these times. Anyhow, uh, so they get captured by uh, the Germans, okay? And then after they're captured, these two, They end up hearing shots go off, and what what happened is that the scouts were shot and killed by Germans. So the two scouts that were the professional, like, very good reconnaissance folks, they were shot because they were actively, you know, still going, right? Whereas the two soldiers that got captured were fighting each other. So the fact that the other soldiers, the scouts, were doing their correct job, they were shot and killed, Whereas the two Americans who were freaking knuckleheads and fighting each other, uh, the Germans didn't kill them because they weren't a threat at that point. They were just fighting each other. Uh, So they were saved by being so freaking stupid, right? And so they were saved by trying to kill themselves. So it was unfortunate because they heard uh, the other two, you know, actually get shot and killed. Uh, And then after being captured, they're kind of being walked over to where they're going to, you know, they, they end up in these, these trains to go to like the prisoner of war camps. Uh, and then the German soldiers see a photographer. Uh, and then the photographer is like, well, getting a photo of you guys walking these American soldiers, it's not going to really look like a big deal. So what they did is they threw Billy into the uh, bushes and they made him come out and then when he came out he looked like he was being captured that way for the german newspaper it would look awesome like we caught this american soldier you know hiding like uh in wait in the in the bushery uh and then they load up all of these folks in the uh in the in the train now comes uh where things kind of get really weird okay and and i'm going to explain why and and the kind of genius behind uh, this book is that when Billy Pilgrim is then put into this train and he's captured and put in this uh, POW train, there's all these other uh, American prisoners of war. Okay. And then his mind, uh, the author says he gets like, (laughs) what does he say? Unstuck in time. All right. So let me explain that. Uh, Meaning like his life go, like he starts picturing his life going like what it was in the future and, and what it was in the past and what it was in the future and what it was in the past. And this is kind of, you know, in a way, it's showing how the the soldier is kind of coping with what just happened. He just got captured. He's in this uh, prison train, right, and not knowing what the heck is going to go on. And then his mind starts going, you know, uh, like back and forth, right? And then in the book, there's this whole other story that keeps coming up. And that story is is the following. Uh, In the future, this guy gets captured by aliens. And uh, when the aliens capture him, they take him to this other planet called Tralmalfador. All right. And in that other planet, he starts living in that other planet. And it's like they take good care of him in that other planet. And everything's kind of cool in that other planet. And then they end up setting him up with you know, food and all this other great stuff. And so his mind starts like traveling in that future. All right. Because remember, he's like, he's not like stuck to the same kind of time frame as everyone else. And now he's kind of going in the future and he's remembering, or he's living those days in the future and the kind of the UFO and the other planet uh, before he starts coming, uh, kind of coming back. Uh, and on this train, you know, it's like, he kind of goes in the future then he comes back and, He's back on this prison train and it's a disaster. It's so bad that, uh, you know, they're just kind of uh, on a train track that's supposed to be freaking rolling, but instead of rolling, it's like stuck there for a few days. Like they're just like, like the prison temporarily is just the train. So everyone's kind of locked up in this, in this train car uh, and just waiting and they don't know where they're going to go. They don't know how they're going to get there. They have no idea what is going on right? Um, All they know is that they're there. Uh, And one of the soldiers, he calls him a hobo. Like, he's kind of like all screwed up and everything. He keeps saying, this isn't that bad. This isn't that bad. Like, he's kind of trying to make him feel better. But after nine days, uh, that hobo dies, right? Uh, So it's like the only guy that was kind of optimistic about it, uh, the poor guy dies, okay? And then, do you remember his friend's name? The guy that he got captured with? Yeah, good. Roland Weary, all right? So Roland Weary is so pissed off at him all of this time uh, and that he gets injured like during the capture uh, and uh, as he was walking and now they're not really eating well and everything. Uh, Roland Weary keeps saying to everyone, I'm going to kill uh, this guy. I'm going to kill Billy Pilgrim because it's his fault I got captured uh, and I'm going to kill He's so mad at him. Uh, and to me, it kind of just shows, okay, of all the people in the world to be mad at, you're not mad at the Germans, right? You're not mad at the at Hitler. You're not mad at the Americans for sending you there. You're not mad at the army for making you go on this reconnaissance trip when you weren't a scout, right? You're not mad at any of that. Instead, you're mad at your fellow soldier that you decided to go back to try to help. Uh, and he didn't even like ask for your help, right? And you're mad at him of all people, uh, but he is. That's who he's really, really angry at, Like um and it just you know that's why i said and this is (laughs) this is why this author became such a uh, interesting philosopher because he would write these stories uh but he wouldn't like he wouldn't say any of this like he would just kind of write the story and you kind of have to kind of gather that but that's that is what roland weary is all pissed off about he's all pissed off that his uh co-soldier is that what it's called co-soldier fellow soldier right uh he blames him for being on this uh this prison train all right then after nine days they finally the train starts moving uh and then it takes a couple days and they get them to a uh a prison like a prisoner of war camp okay uh and and this one this is so everything here gets gets very interesting when they get to the and all of this is again he draws on his all his experiences and what happened in the war so it's it's like not really fiction. <laughs> it's like a true story. But, you know, anyway, so uh, so he gets to the prison of war camp and at, at the prisoner of war camp, they kind of unload everybody, right? They're unloading. Everyone It's freezing cold, uh, you know, because it's Germany in the winter and uh, they start giving everybody coats. OK, uh, and he gets kind of excited because he he gets a kind of a cool coat, uh, except that all of the coats came from dead soldiers. You know, so all these soldiers that died, you know, the Germans kind of collected the coats and now they're giving it to uh, POWs. So it's kind of in a way, it's kind of cool. He gets a coat. Right. But in another way, it's a coat of somebody that died, like a soldier that died. Uh, But he gets lucky, so to speak, uh, because he's the only one that somehow he got a coat from a dead civilian as opposed to a dead soldier. So he got kind of like this really cool coat. Um, so would you say that that's lucky? That's the good life, living the good life, huh? Zeke is like, can I get that coat? No, Zeke. No. Okay. Uh, so anyway, so he's got this coat and, and, uh, you know, you could draw the inference as you will. It's like, you know, all of a sudden this guy is happy or not happy, but he's like lucky that he got this coat. Um, and then the, the crazy part is in all of these coats, they have, uh, there's kind of an issue, and that issue is there's all these dead bugs, or not dead, they're actually live. There's all these like bugs and other animals in the coats because they're kind of, they've collected from these dead people. So, you know, there's like either bacteria that's growing or, you know, lice or all these other kind of, bu- I don't know what kind of bugs there are, but and he didn't know either, he just said, there's all these like weird bugs and everything, right? So anyway, they're handed this coat, and then they're marched, they have to get naked, and they have to march into these showers. So that all the prisoners of war, they're going to end up finally taking a shower after like 10 days after they're being captured. Uh, and as soon as this happens, when he's about to get in the shower and he's walking in there, he travels again into the uh, the planet that, that he was taken to. Um, and he's at the planet and he's discussing how his life at uh, Trial Malfador in the future is. He's talking about how awesome it is, how nice it is how they take care of him, how the aliens kind of give him advice and how they give him all this, like, like cool things to do. Uh, And then he travels back in time to when he was a kid, when he went to the Grand Canyon with his parents, like when he was a kid with his brothers and and his parents. Uh, And then he remembers how awesome the Grand Canyon was when he was a little kid. This is before the war, right? And he starts living there, like, uh, going to the Grand Canyon. But even that's not that good because... He's at the Grand Canyon, and this French guy uh, that came all the way from France to the Grand Canyon, he told them, like, there was this, you know, the Grand Canyon is a big hole. Have you ever been there, Zeke? You've been to the Grand Canyon? No? Matteo, You've been in the Grand Canyon, right? So it's a big hole, right? Okay, so they go to the Grand Canyon, and then as they're enjoying it, this French guy kind of tells them, you know, every year at least three people die by falling in there, you know? So it kind of, like, It takes away from this awesome trip, you know? Oh, man. Then he goes to the Carlsbad Cavern. Have you been to the Carlsbad Cavern? I mistakenly thought it's here in San Diego's Carlsbad. But did you know it's a Carlsbad in the state of New Mexico? It's some sort of national park. So anyway, so then he starts uh, explaining that. Now, this is kind of some of the things that I take from this, right? It's that he's kind of, this is a World War II book, and he's explaining how... These soldiers kind of uh, get through this ordeal, right? And part of how getting through this ordeal is that he's, you know, remembering things that happened, and he's kind of, he's then remembering things in the future that happened. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so this is kind of a, I don't know if it's a coping mechanism or just kind of a reality or or something. But this is how, what his mind is going through as he's about to take this shower. Um, and then there's this interesting thing that he kind of explains. Okay, so they walk in and all of these uh, POWs are there naked and they're, they're about to take a shower, right? So they're under the shower head and they're just standing there, right? And then he makes it a point in the book to say, okay, so somewhere there's a valve and somewhere there's a hand that we can't see that's going to turn the valve. So oh, I turned it this way. That's righty tidy. Okay, so lefty-loose. They're going to turn the valve and the water's gonna come, but we don't like, he just, it's a its a quick line in there. It's like some unseen hand, you know, kind of like, you know, anything in life, like you could be at a red light and and you don't know the driver behind you and you don't know, it. like he could crash right into you. He could not, like, it's kind of like that unseen hand that's, that's gonna uh, have a big effect on your life that's gonna turn the valve. And then he doesn't know if that valve is gonna bring out cold water hot water or, you know, I mean, he doesn't say that, but it's clear, right? Like in kind of what he's going through, he doesn't know what the water is gonna be like, if it's gonna be hot or cold. And sadly, this is World War II, right? So we know the story of what happened to the victims in the concentration camps when they were told they're gonna to take a shower, right? Like it wasn't water that came out, it was like poison gas, right? So all of this is like, he has no idea what's gonna happen. Uh, so for the for, you know, as he's standing there, like, everything's about to change, and he has no idea who's going to change it, how they're going to change it, or what's, what exactly the change will be, right? Um, so, so that's what he's kind of uh, going through, okay? Thankfully, it was, the water wasn't too bad, <laughs> right? So he took a shower, and then when, he, when they all come out, they finally get their coats, but there's poison gas on the coats. Uh, and, and it wasn't to kill the POWs, it was to kill off all of the dead or oh, I'm sorry, the living animals and bacteria on the coats. So uh, it's kind of a strange irony to get this really nice coat and to be warm, but uh, you have poison gas on it so that all of the living mechanisms there were killed. Oh my God, I forgot to turn off my phone. Oh. No, no, we better not answer that, dude. Uh, that's insurance company. I have a lot of lawsuits with insurance agents. They're not, where the insurance is the opposing side. I better turn this off because the one thing I that will ruin my mood more than talking about a world war is talking to an insurance adjuster okay all right sorry about that all right so uh so anyway so they take the shower they get the coats right uh and then um in the in the prisoner camp uh in the prisoner of war camp there's the American POWs there's these uh German I mean I'm sorry British POWs there's like a few Russian POWs and and apparently they treated the Russians the worst in, in this Uh, prisoner camp. Uh, And the British uh, POWs, there was, in the beginning of the war, there was, as the author describes it, there was a clerical error with the Red Cross, and they accidentally sent these prisoners of war 500 parcels of food a month instead of 50 parcels a month. And the British prisoners of war were very good at like hoarding this and saving it and preserving all of this extra food that they had, right? Um, And so everyone was jealous of the British prisoners of war because they had like butter and sugar and meat and and tobacco and they had everything in excess, right? So they were living large at the POW camp Um, and they were kind enough to like, they, because they had all this extra stuff, they were kind of rationing a little bit extra to uh, the American prisoners of war. <laughs> so there was like this little hierarchy there uh, within the camp. And sure enough, our guy then, uh, you know, this is not the best existence. So he starts remembering the the future again. And then he starts something that I, I, I don't know how this guy thought of it. But anyway, so he goes in the future. He's thinking in the future. Then in the future, he's... He, he gets into these different books, like sci-fi books, uh, by an author named Kilgore Trout, <laughs> okay? And then the author, this author, describes some of those other books. I won't go into that detail, but it was really interesting. Anyway, so uh, in the prisoner of war camp, uh, he's remembering all of these things in the future, um, and kind of like uh, and then he starts describing, oh, my God, that's such a cool book. It goes like this. It goes like that. That's a really cool book. It goes like this. It goes like that. But he's remembering all of this while he's at the uh, the prisoner of war camp. And then again, his mind starts going to. Oh, and then he goes back to the uh, the planet where the aliens took him, uh, Trial Malfador. And he's thinking about the color TV that he's enjoying right in the in the 60s. And he's thinking about his couch and the bed, and they have a pool table that they gave him. You like playing pool, Mateo? I bet you could beat me, but I love playing pool. All right. So he has a pool table there. Um, and then he's this one. I had to write this down. The stereophonic phonogram. Oh, sorry, stereophonic phonograph. All right, here's what it looks like. You know what? Have you ever had one of these guys? It's like a turntable with a big horn at it right like this is like what they use in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and you can get music on it Zeke do you remember those no come on dude Zeke is like Zeke Zeke was there when they invented the telephone you remember when they invented the telephone Zeke Zeke I remember him telling stories like and then I picked this thing up and I heard someone's voice remember that Zeke 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 knows what I'm talking about uh, so, yeah, so he's picturing all this. And when is he picturing this, Mateo? In his prisoner of war camp. I just, I love it. I loved, like, reading, like, this is how he's uh, getting through it. And then he even he even starts describing how that society lives in Traumalfador. Malfador. Like, there's five different genders, and this gender does this, and this gender does that, and these are their roles, and this is how it goes, Right. So, I mean, that is some very, very, very uh, elaborate, <laughs> right? Uh, and then he goes, you know, and, and at one point, like, he's in a lot of pain. There, somebody gives him morphine. I think it was maybe one of the Brits that gave him morphine or something to kind of calm his pain down. And then when he finally was able to wake up and then and realize he's at the POW camp again, uh, he has to go to the, the latrine, okay, the bathroom. And uh, the bathroom... <laughs> the other POWs were getting upset because some people would leave the bathroom worse than it was before so they had this sign that said please leave the latrine as tidy as you found it all right which was funny because these POWs they're worried about the latrine so it just kind of shows like oh okay this is they're living day to day this is what they're worried about um, and then at one point there's this big fight Uh, between, uh, like, an American POW and a British POW. Uh, Guess what they fought about? Cigarettes. (laughs) Okay, they they were fighting over cigarettes. Uh, You know, here they are in a prisoner of war camp. They could be killed. They could be there for a month. Like, who the F knows, right? Uh, But the most important thing at that moment was to fight over the cigarettes. And then our guy then travels again into the future and he sees you know his his life on this planet the aliens gave him something Mateo on the planet they gave him a porn star wife that he could sleep with right that was very nice of them (laughs) okay but get this so he has this porn star wife that he's like sleeping with okay I'm not going to tell you her name because I don't want you to google her okay um because I already did. She's a fictional character, damn it. Anyway, so so he has his porn star wife uh, in the future, uh, and he's enjoying her, you know, and then he's kind of like the aliens kind of check him out, like he's in a zoo or something. And then he travels a little bit further into the future. He becomes an optometrist, like, way later in the, you know, way after the war, like 20 years after the war. He becomes a very successful optometrist, okay? And, um... And then it go, okay, he was at one point, he's with this 12-year-old patient, a boy, right? He's with this 12-year-old patient, like, fitting him for uh, glasses. Um, and then he asked the 12-year-old boy, oh, how are things, you know, at school or whatever. Twelve, a good doctor, right? Uh, and then our guy, you know, into the future, with this 12-year-old boy, Mateo, he, he's like, oh, yeah. And then he starts describing how life is for him when he lives in the planet. He's telling this to the 12-year-old boy. And to this 12-year-old boy, he's like, yeah, it's not that bad. I have this at the planet. The aliens give me this. The aliens give me that. I get to sleep with a porn star, right? That that part's pretty good, huh? You know, so who is he telling this to? This 12-year-old boy, right? This boy patient. Um, And to me, and so eventually he has to stop being a doctor because the last thing that the they want doctors to do, right? Can you, imagine, can you imagine when you were 12 years old, you go to a doctor and he's talking to you about uh, banging a porn star in front of aliens on this island, like a million by miles away. Wouldn't that be weird? You know what I'm saying? I don't know which doctor Zeke went to, but that would be weird for, for people like me and Mateo. So anyway, um, now, he, <laughs> that's some funny shit, right? This whole thing is funny. So this is the genius of this book. Like he's kind of describing how veterans you know, how like things get weird, right? Because they had to process everything that was going on. And and then later in life, it's like they have, you know, it's like fragmented or this happened, that happened. And they can't really function sometimes with the rest of society because, you know, like what he had to do when he coped with the war, you know, now he's like a successful optometrist and he's talking to this little boy and he's talking to him about this planet that he thinks that he goes to, uh, and lives on every now and then, so it's like whoa, <laughs> right? Um, but again, it's funny the way it's kind of described. And then uh, they finally they what happens next is that they leave the the Germans transfer the prisoners to the city of Dresden in East East Germany, uh, and and this is you know the point of the book. It starts talking about the bombing of Dresden because. They transferred these guys to Dresden because uh, they want the prisoners there to start kind of like rebuilding the cities, kind of like, because now it's getting, it got bombed, right? Uh, but when they get transferred there, uh, there's more bombings when they get transferred there. Now, side story, in real life, the the author, he was in a train, like in a prisoner of war camp train, and the British mistakenly thought that that was the German military, Uh, And they bombed that train and something like 100 or 150 American troops died uh, or allied uh, troops died because they got bombed on by their own, you know, country by the by the Brits. Right. Um, Because of that mistake, like they thought it was a a different type of train or or whatever the heck. Right. So anyway, so they end up going to Dresden and and as soon as they get to Dresden, it's getting bombed. Um, And now Billy Pilgrim, our guy. He's nervous that the Americans or British are going to kill him, right? Because they're, they're prisoners of war in Dresden, and they're nervous that they're gonna get killed uh, by their own you know, governments, uh, because of you know, they're just bombing everything. Uh, then, the reason why it's called Slaughterhouse Five, uh, this is how they protect themselves, all right? Uh, they protect themselves by doing the following they they go there they get they get the prisoner camp then is like a slaughterhouse, right? They go to an area. There's this like meat locker shelter area where the pigs are sheltered, uh, and pigs are sheltered, you know, so that they could grow because you got to grow the pig so that they could, you know, have the bacon and the uh, pork chops and the big ribs and all that jazz, right? So they have to like grow the pig somewhere. so and you have to keep them safe from uh you know other animals and they have to keep them safe from like disease or cold uh weather and things like that so there's an area where in the slaughterhouse where they keep all the pigs like safe <laughs> right and secure before they go slaughter the pigs but in the end of world war ii the germans have no pigs to slaughter because you know it's the war and they don't, they don't have an abundance of farmers that could get them the pigs or whatever right So the prisoners of war, the best place that they can get shelter is in the same place where the pigs have shelter before they're slaughtered. All right. What do you think? The gabagool. Right. Not the best place, but if you got to live, you got to do something. Right. So this is the place where they take shelter. Um, and, And it's kind of, you know, weird. Then as this is happening again, he kind of like keeps traveling back and forth in time. Then he travels to his daughter's wedding that's in the future. And in his daughter's wedding, it's an awesome wedding. So he starts thinking about that, which is a much better thing to think about, I think, than the slaughterhouse that they're in. But he starts thinking about his daughter's wedding and this, this weird thing that he talks about that, that when I read this, I, I was just so amazed. Uh, after his daughter's wedding, he watches a World War II movie, all right? Uh, he didn't like the movie. So he watched it backwards. Right. You ever watched the movie backwards? Like <laughs> I haven't either, but he watched it backwards. But the most beautiful thing happened as he watched it backwards. OK, I'm going to read this as fast as I can, you know, Um, because he's watching it backwards. So it starts with everything being devastated because it's in the end. Uh, American planes full of holes and wounded men and corpse take off backwards from the airfield in England. Over France, a few German fighter planes flew uh, backwards at them, sucked bullets and shell fragments from some of the planes and crewmen. They did the same for wrecked American bombers on the ground, and those planes flew up backwards uh, safely back to Germany and England. The formation flew backwards over a German city that was in flames. Uh, the bombers opened their bomb bay doors, exerted a miraculous magnetic, uh, which shrunk the fires, gathered them into c- cylinder steel containers, and lifted the containers into the bellies of the planes. The containers were stored neatly in racks. The Germans below had miraculous devices of their own uh, with long steel tubes, you know, those are the, the g- guns, and and they used them to suck fragments from crewmen's and planes uh, to to save them, uh, but there were still a few wounded Americans, though, and some of them bombers were in bad repair. Over France, German fighters came up, made everything and everybody good as they, you know, came back and took everything off. Right uh, when the bombers got back to their base, the steel cylinders were taken from the racks and shipped back to the United States of America, uh, where factories were operating day and night dismantling the cylinders separating the dangerous contents into minerals touchingly it was mainly women who did this work because why were the women doing it because all the men were in the war right so all the women are getting the bombs back and they're taking it apart um the minerals were then shipped to specialists in remote areas it was their business to put them into the ground to hide them cleverly so they would never hurt anyone again right because all those minerals Watching the movie backwards, they put them all back and they, they put them back everywhere. The American pilots turned in their uniforms and they became high school kids again. Uh So, it, <laughs> right? It was so touching. It's so cool. Like, And it was as easy as just watching the World War II movie backwards. And by watching it backwards, it was like, whoa, all of these bombers are, are stopping the fires, taking everything back, putting them all putting the bombs back in the racks and then they're flying back they're sending the bombs back home they're taking it apart they're putting it away the all of these uh all of these people that were killed you know they're coming back they're turning in their uniforms and they're they're high school kids again you know so it was just god man that was that was really really cool um I tried explaining that to somebody and then all I got in return was why would anyone watch a movie backwards? I was like, damn it. Never mind. Okay. Okay. Um, A few other things. He, then in his future life, as he's, as he's like remembering it and everything, um, At one point with his family, they kind of go and they see this, like, it was like a barbershop quartet or some sort of like musical thing, right? Uh, But it was weird because of all the, you know, all the, you know, I don't want to touch the mic. Would it be bad if I did that, (laughs) right? They're doing all this, they're doing all that, right? All of these sounds and everything it's driving him nuts, right? Because he's thinking of the war with all of these like banging sounds or whatever the heck it was. Uh, it's just reminding him of the war and this and that. So he has to like run away from that band, you know, and and he can't like handle it. Um, it just, it's kind of, you know, but he describes it kind of in a funny way, but it's kind of like, it shows that PTSD of these soldiers, you know, and how it's going to be hard for them. Like things in society that uh, uh, other people enjoy, you know, these these poor guys, like it scares scares them or something right or reminds them of something that they don't want to remember at that time you know so uh but he kind of it's just it's just genius the way he's he describes it in these funny scenes uh but these they're like these like crazy things uh and he describes that the aliens he goes back to the aliens and the aliens give him this advice the advice is just look at the pretty things and ignore the ugly things wouldn't that be easy to do right and he says well if, if I could be that selective, damn it, (laughs) you know, I will try. Then he thinks the only, his favorite part of the war was after the war, like after the war, you know, and he was still there in Germany. Uh, it was like a warmer day and he was like free, um, you know, and he was in a wagon and in the wagon, he's enjoying the sun and the other guys are kind of like, Pushing the wagon, they collect some souvenirs. They're kind of like hanging out. There's a horse that's pushing it, you know. Um, but then they come across these. Then he's like, "Oh, I just remembered though. He, they, there is these two German like doctors or something." And then they come to the American soldiers that are just, you know, the they won the war, right? And they start yelling at the soldiers. They're like, "What the fuck are you guys doing? You look at your horse. The horse is about to die." Like, here you are drinking and partying and and having fun and going around in this wagon, enjoying the sun, but it's gonna end because you're not taking care of the horse, like, can't you just, you can't see the horse about to die? So then all of a sudden he's like, damn it, I gotta take care of the horse now. Okay, my favorite part of the book, or or one of my favorite parts, okay, kind of, you know, and and now more in the future. Uh, Remember I told you the sci-fi books that he really digs? Okay, so he's in Manhattan one day and he's kind of walking around. And then there's like an adult bookstore. Uh, Zeke, this is where you come in. There's an adult bookstore, <laughs> right? Uh, but back then, they couldn't, like, in, in the windows, they had to have, like, legitimate books, you know? Um, and so they so he saw in the window this, like, the sci-fi book by his favorite author, uh, Kilgore Trout, right? Uh, so he walks in, but it's a an adult bookstore. And it's like everywhere there, there's, like, porn books or you could go and and put a quarter in a machine and watch dirty pictures you know what i'm saying uh zeke you still do that (laughs) so anyway so you could do all this right but he doesn't want to do that he goes to buy this sci-fi book right in this adult bookstore because that's what he's interested in like they try to get him to watch the dirty books or or go and get a whatever a hook or whatever it is right um you know, because that's what the store really does, right? Uh, but he's interested in the in the book. So they these guys that work there and the the patrons or whatever they start making fun of him. You know, they're like, dude, this guy's a real pervert. He's here, and he, and instead of looking at these beautiful naked women, he just wants to read this this book that's not even really for sale. It's just it's just there as a decoy so that we're allowed to have window dressing and we could operate. It's not even what this pornographic bookstore is for but he becomes the odd man out because he's trying to buy a legitimate book uh and they kind of laugh at him and everything so he's kind of like an outcast um what do you think (laughs) by the way uh we're gonna do dad jokes but before we do if you want to buy this book i'll put a link to the book uh and i think if you buy it through the link i might get like 20 cents or something from anyone that buys the book. Yeah, the Joe Samuel 20 cent fund. And if you write me a nice email, I'll send that 20 cents to you. Okay, uh, because I love you guys. Okay, at the end of every show, uh, let me see, I wrote down some of these dad jokes. I want to go over the dad jokes. Let's see. Da-da-da-da. I'm so good at sleeping that I could do it with my eyes closed. <laughs> yeah or nay on that one? Okay, I didn't get this one. Okay, maybe you get it. Okay, time flies like an arrow. Fruit flies like a banana. No, what do you think? Yeah, okay, I got that one. Um, Oh, (laughs) 6.30 is my favorite time of the day, hands down. Right, 6.30? Yeah, the 6 and the 30 is down. Uh, Whenever you get bad sausage, it's just the worst. (laughs) All right, all right, all right, one more, one more, one more, one more. My dog is a genius. I asked him, what's two minus two? He said nothing. (laughs) Well, I got one more, I got one more. Uh, I used to hate facial hair, but then it grew on me. See you next week.